Welcome back to Foster Adopt Minnesota's Let's Talk, a podcast that brings you valuable resources for prospective and current adoptive and foster families, as well as professionals. My name is Sunny, and I'm an education coordinator here at Foster Adopt Minnesota. And I'm Chris, also an education coordinator here at FAM. Today, we are chatting with Kristen Data about how to support trans youth. Kristen will be presenting a wonderful webinar on LGBTQ plus history for FAM during our November Fall Forum. And today we want to take some time on our podcast to expand our understanding of the trans community. Kristen recently moved to Washington, D.C. to pursue a graduate museum studies degree at GW. Prior to that, she was an archival assistant at the University of Minnesota's Treasure Collection in GLBT Studies, one of the world's largest collections of LGBTQ archival materials. Welcome, Kristen. Yeah, thank you for having me. Um, I'm really happy that you asked me to talk about the subject. I think it's really important. So uh, thank you. Um, to start off, so. I know you're supposed to be interviewing me for this podcast, but I wanted to start out by asking um, you and Sunny um, a question. So that question is, um, why do you identify as the gender you identify as? And so there are no wrong answers to this. This is purely about, you know, your own feelings. Um, I'm just curious if you have any, if you've ever thought about this before and what you do think about this. Wow. Okay. So that's lots of questions. Okay. So why do I identify as the gender identify? So I identify um, as a female. And until I started working at FAM, I never thought about it because it, for me, it just, it wasn't an issue. It wasn't, I mean, it's just because I match who I am biologically. So it just, um, I never thought about it. How about you, Chris? Yeah, and same, I guess it's just something I've never really thought about. Um, and I guess if I just have to think about it more, I mean, I don't know if it's because I'm attracted to men versus women or what that is, but I really haven't given it much thought. And like Sunny, until I started working at FAM and doing more of these trainings, you do think about things a little bit more, but yeah, I don't, I don't really haven't thought about it much. Yeah, I think it's really easy for people who are not transgender, who are, you know, don't have to think about gender and sexuality to not really think about it. It's kind of like, you know, if you are a man, you don't think about sexism or, you know, things like that. And I think it's really interesting to take a moment to think about it, because once you start thinking about like, oh, why... Why do I identify as a woman? Why do I identify as a man? Um, it's it's like, wait, actually, why do I? What's, you know, what what is this? You know, why, why am I like this kind of? And, um, you know, I think this is a really important thing to think about when, you know, it's really confusing, actually. If you try to think about gender, it's really confusing. And, um, you know, I don't want to spoil all of, you know, what we're going to talk about in this podcast and what I'm going to talk in, about in my um, 
my talk uh, in November. But, you know, I think if you take a moment to think about it and if you start looking at history and the different ways that people have, you know, other people have thought about gender, it becomes so much more confusing, but also so much more interesting. So I think, you know, I definitely encourage everyone to take five minutes at some point in their life and just try and write down one or two reasons why they're the gender that they are. And again, this is like purely about your own personal thoughts. But I think once you do that, it really helps you understand more about gender and where other people may be coming from. The homework over our lifetime, yes. up to two reasons. Wow. Up to two reasons in your lifetime, come up with two reasons. <laughs> and you know, those reasons can be actually like, why? I don't know. Maybe I don't have to, you know? Um, also identify as a woman. I was been kind of assigned as a woman um, based on my like physical appearance and such, you know, was born into a different society where people didn't automatically decide I was a woman. Would I still feel the same way? Which is, again, really weird to think about. And again, I don't feel any need to um, change myself or my presentation or anything about that. Um, so in that way, you know, I'm lucky other people do, um, you know, feel strongly about changing their presentation and such. And it does actually affect their mental health. But for me, it's kind of like, I feel like I would have been fine you know, no matter what, <laughs> but it is weird to think about. Thanks for starting us off with that tough question. So now we're going <laughs> to turn it around to you. <laughs> All right. <laughs> um, so you've told us a little bit about yourself and, you know, from your intro too. So can you share how you became interested in LGBTQ history? and the sort of work you've done with the trans community. First of all, I came out as bisexual in, I came out to my friends in eighth grade and my my family in ninth grade. So I, I am one of those kids that was coming out pretty young. I was a member of, at the time, it was the Gay Straight Alliance at my school. You know, all four years of high school, I was, I ended up becoming the president, I think. Um, Wow. <laughs> yeah, I mean, we didn't do all that much. But again, you know, I was very open about that stuff in high school. I'm still very open about that. So again, I've definitely been active kind of in the LGBT community for quite a while. I mean, I'm still fairly young, but, um, <laughs> you know, I, I started out early. <laughs> and then in 2015, so um, when I was in college, I started first uh, volunteering at the um, Treader Collection, which is the LGBTQ uh, history archive at the University of Minnesota. It's one of the largest ones in the world, definitely the largest in the upper Midwest, lots of cool stuff there. And, you know, I really loved learning about the history of our community and so I kept, you know, I kept coming back and eventually I was um, hired in an actual paid position. And so, you know, I've been living there for a really long time and um, it kind of history is how I've been doing a lot of my activism. As for work with the trans community, I've done less specific work, trans issues. I mean, I've obviously done work with um, trans history as part of the um, charter collection. And also, and then also, 
But I can't talk about this too much because it hasn't been officially announced. <laughs> um, but I'm also working a bit with the um, Capitol Jewish Museum in uh, D.C. for an upcoming exhibit, which will include, you know, general LGBTQ history, but also hopefully some good trans history. So I've been doing research for that. And then, of course, I was also a teacher for a number of years, um, teaching mainly middle school and high school. And so I've, you know, I've worked with trans kids. I've had multiple students um, who are transgender, you know, various gender identities. And so I think because of how much more visible the um, trans community has come, uh, become in the past few years, I think that it's kind of, I, I maybe this is just me, but it's kind of impossible to not um, interact at least somewhat with the trans community and to meet trans people at least, especially if you're working in education, so. Right. Well, thank you for, and did you say that the LGBTQ archival materials are at the University of Minnesota? Yeah, so they are at the University of Minnesota. So so this is part of my spiel about why uh, history is important. But, so Treader Collection was started by Jean Treader, who was, who was a linguist in the Navy, actually, um, and then he came back to uh, Minnesota afterwards. He was from Minnesota and he became a student at the U of M and was studying um, anthropology. And he wanted to write about and study about the gay community. So this was in the 70s. So this is early 70s, about 72, 73, I want to say. Um, and the University of Minnesota said, no, you can't study that because there's no such thing as the gay community that that doesn't exist. That's not like, what? you know, an anthropological. Yeah, that's not. I mean, it was the 70s. That, that's not an anthropological, you know, community that you can study. And so Gene ended up leaving the university and did not finish his degree. But, um, you know, he was very active in the gay liberation movement in the 70s. Um, he helped found Twin Cities Pride. Um, and he realized that, you know, again, no one was really collecting um, gay history and LGBTQ history in general. And so he started collecting all these historical materials and just kind of saving them in his apartment. You know, after about 30 years of collecting, things were no longer fitting his, in his apartment. <laughs> in 2000, the University of Minnesota decided you know, actually, maybe the gay community is a thing. And we oh. want to, we want to have, you know, an LGBT study like program, we want students to be able to study the LGBTQ community. And so they ended up asking Gene if he would donate all of his materials to the university, specifically to support students who wanted to study the LGBTQ community. So I think that's a really good way of illustrating the importance of this history and these materials and how, you know, they really help scholarship. And I mean, they help a lot more than just university right. students. But again, if you don't have those historical materials, it's a lot easier for the university to say, you can't study that, that doesn't exist. Right. right. Well, way to go, Jean. Yeah. yeah. 
And it's also a really good illustration of how people can change and that it's okay yeah. to change your mind. Absolutely. You, you know, realize, yeah, when you realize something isn't right to change, you can, you can switch course. It's okay. Yeah, and just think of all of that documentation and history that would have been lost too. Way to go. Go Gophers. <laughs> Yeah, go Gophers. <laughs> I mean, Minnesota has actually been really, really cool about um, protecting transgender people overall, which uh, maybe I'll talk about that later. Um, but yeah, that kind of leads into our like next question about what are common misconceptions about trans youth. So I think a good place to start with this is when we were talking earlier about, you know, why do you identify as the gender you identify as? Um a lot of people have this conception that this is a new thing and that, you know, I know this sounds, you know, really out there, but I, I've heard people say this before that, you know, the kids are just spending too much time on TikTok and that's why they think they're transgender, which is quite a lot. <laughs> As we discussed before, you know, there is this perception that kids are only doing it because it's trendy. But I think this has a lot to do with the fact that up until recently, a lot of people were not thinking about gender. And once you start, like, once someone asks you, why are you this gender? You know, there will be people who think about it as like, hmm, you know, I am comfortable with the gender I'm assigned. I'm good with that. But there will also be people who think about it more and decide, you know, actually, maybe this is not what I want. Maybe I have other options. Um, so I think, you know, it's less that kids are being brainwashed by TikTok <laughs> um, and more that we're asking this question more. And so kids and youth, you know, have more time to think about this and think about, you know, why, why do we have to do it this way? You know, why do I have to, you know, choose between two genders? Why do I have to you know, go along with the gender that other people are telling me I have to be. And um, another thing that I think is really important about this is that kids are figuring things out. I think when you are, I think we can all remember being in, you know, high school, being in middle school, and you have no idea what's going on. Um, and It's scary enough, isn't it? <laughs> Yeah. Um, you have no idea what's going on. And you're also figuring out yourself. You're figuring out, you know, who you are as a person, you know, who your friends are, where you fit in in the world. And I think gender is part of that. And I mean, for me, I, you know, it was more about sexuality and, you know, where I fit in with that. But I think, you know, for a lot of people, it's thinking about their gender. And I think we also need to give youth space to experiment. You know, I think a lot of people, when someone comes out to them as transgender, especially if it's a young person, the first thing they want to know is why. You know, why, why are you transgender? And I think, you know, as we talked about at the beginning of this, when someone asks you, why are you the gender you are? That's a really hard question to answer. And, really is. <laughs> yeah. And um, usually when you have to answer with, you know, I don't know, that's just the way I feel. A lot of people don't want to accept that answer. And I think it's important that, you know, we let, you know, we don't always have to ask for an answer. You know, I understand like 
wanting to understand why. And I think a lot of um, adults and parents gen genuinely do want to know, you know, what's happening and are also confused about this. But I think it's important to remember that kids and youth need space to figure this out on their own. And I think especially if you start asking right away, explain this to me, I don't get it, why? You know, it can be really tough for kids because it's like, I don't I don't know. I'm I just wanna see, you know, if this makes me feel better about myself. One example of this is my my younger sibling. So they use um, they, them pronouns and also she, her pronouns. They recently had their name um, legally changed. So um, they're, they, uh, they work for a big automaker now, actually, and they're out at work and they're, you know, they're doing really well. But they also came out in high school and my parents had already gone through it with me. <laughs> um, you know, they, they'd already had to deal with some of this. But unfortunately, the way... You know, my sibling didn't really come out so much as they were outed. And that was because they had, they were going to do this sort of um, exchange program to another school. And they thought, okay, I'm going to be like away from everyone I know for a while. And this is my time to kind of figure myself out a bit and try something new. Because, you know, they weren't really sure about their gender and, you know, what they wanted to be. And so they, you know, emailed one of the teachers there and they said, hey, can you uh, address me with they, them pronouns? And that teacher then emailed my parents and were like, do you know about this? Oh, wow. Which, yeah. And, um, you know, my, my sibling had already talked to me about this, but they had not talked to my parents about this. And I was off at college at the time, so I wasn't there for all of the conversations but I, I know it was definitely tough because it's the, you know, why do you want to do this? And like, I don't get this. Explain this to me. And again, the kind of the whole point of this was that my sibling wanted a space where they could try something out before it became permanent. Oh, it's, it's been many years since then. And they've, you know, legally changed their names on, you know, all of their documents. And it, you know, it has stuck, but they also needed time to get there. And you know, some some kids will try something out and decide this is not for me. And that's also completely okay. But I think they also need the space to decide that, which can be really tough for parents and for, you know, other relatives and teachers, because it can seem like a really big change. And it can also be scary for us because we see in the news, you know, about people who are really opposed to, you know, trans youth and trans children. And so I think part of the instinct is to be like, you don't actually want to do this. You know, this is this is scary. People don't like this. But that also is it's not going to help the situation. Definitely get the urge to kind of try to protect your kids from this. But it's a really complicated situation. And I think in, a, in an ideal world, we would just let all of the kids do what they want and figure their stuff out. And what happens, happens. It's not that big of a deal. But I understand that it can be hard to accept that as a parent because it can be scary. Well, what would you say to the parents who think that it's a choice? I, I know you you talked about how your, your sibling decided to try it out for a while and then it stuck. 
But from the trainings that we've had, and my understanding is that you are who you are. Just like we were answering at the beginning, well, I never had to think about it because this is who I am. I, I would almost say that from what I've heard from other trans people is that they're what they are, right? So what, w- what would you say to the parents that think it's a choice? I know this may sound a little out there, but so so what if it's a choice? <laughs> um, again, this may be hard to accept, but even if it is a choice, first of all, I will say that so various studies um, have shown that, um, first of all, uh, transgender youth experience higher rates of um, depression and are more likely to attempt suicide than um, youth who are not transgender, you know, at least twice as likely to attempt suicide. And um, again, studies have shown um, that by, you know, letting the person express themselves as they want to be expressed, whether that's, you know, changing their hair or changing their clothes or doing, you know, hormone therapy, that does have a, you know, statistical noticeable impact on rates of depression and suicidality. And so this isn't just about, I want to do what I want to do. It also has severe impacts on mental health. And so you supporting this person, even if you don't understand it, could save their life. It could have, you know, really important impacts on their mental health. Um, I will also say that there was a study by the National Center for Transgender um, Equality which surveyed about 28,000 transgender people in the U.S. and found, so first of all, it found that about 8% of transgender people um, had detransitioned at some point in their life. So like decided to, um, you know, stop hormone therapy or um, things like that. Um, But again, that's only 8%. And within that 8%, um, about 62% of those people who you know, change their mind, if you will, only did so because of external pressures, such as feeling, you know, not accepted by family or by society. um, And, you know, again, uh, things like that. And so it's really an extremely small number of people who do, you know, have any sort of regret about transitioning. It's an extremely low number. In comparison, according to the um, Journal of Musculoskeletal Disorders, about like between 16 to 30% of people regret having their hip replacement. So <laughs> you, are mu- you are more than twice as likely to regret your hip replacement than you are to regret, you know, having surgery to, you know, change your um, body to match your gender. Ah is a great statistic that it really is perfect (laughs) yeah so i think you know if it was if it was just a choice you know i feel like you wouldn't be seeing these sort of statistics you know i do think it's important that we let people have choice um you know I, i think it's important that we give people the space to figure themselves out but i also think it's really important to look at the the data and say that this is not just a trend. This is, you know, really meaningful to a lot of people. It reduces suicide rates. It, you know, makes people happier with themselves. 
And so uh, you, your kid did not decide to be transgender just to make your life harder. Um, and, you know, I know it can be really frustrating if you don't feel like you understand what's going on and it can feel like a really big change to you. I think it's important to try to be supportive. And again, you don't have to get everything right all at once. Um, I know, especially with, you know, with teenagers, with high schoolers, you will definitely have arguments that's like, why don't you get this mom? Why don't you get this, you know, whatever. Um, but that's just part of being a parent. I think, you know, I definitely had arguments with my parents about, you know, them not getting something about my sexuality. But I have always really appreciated that they have been supportive of me and you know we have a good relationship today and I think that's because even though they didn't always understand it they were willing to give me that space to understand myself gotcha well now when you say support and mm -hmm. that parents should support their kids can you give us an example of what support looks like Ooh. I think sometimes support just looks like not trying to deny a person their identity. Um, for example, I I went to prom with a girl, um, which, you know, obviously was very, you know, public thing to do. And I understand how some parents might say, you know, are you sure that's a good idea? Are you sure you want to do that? You know, my parents did not ask me that. They did not express concern about that. They they took pictures for us. Um, and I think it's not something you really notice in the moment, or at least as a, as a kid, I didn't, you know, notice it that much. But I do think it was really important because if they had been constantly asking me, you know, are you sure about this? And, you know, even if it was out of concern for me, I think it would may have made me feel like I couldn't talk with them about it. And I think, um, you know, I have a... Um, Another transgender friend who was telling me, you know, it doesn't always have to be a big conversation. Sometimes, you know, support can just mean, again, not being like, are you sure about this? Sometimes it can just be like, okay. And I think another thing about support is, you know, again, this is not necessarily something that your kids will see, but uh, parents and other adults will look to you, ask you, you know, are you sure you're okay with this? And I think you don't necessarily need to explain everything. It can be, sometimes it can be enough to just say, yeah, you know, that's what she wants. That's what they want. It's fine. Um, I think about that with, so when I was in, I lived in Japan for a while and I was teaching English and we had a skit contest for the, um, a regional skit contest where the kids had to um, write their own skit in English and then perform it. And my my seventh graders wrote a skit about a transgender student who transferred to the school and, you know, was nervous at first because they didn't have a good experience at their old school. But, you know, everyone accepted them and it was happy at the end, which, you know, very much something a seventh grader wrote, but um, very sweet. And um, 
I was the advisor for this, the skit performance. And um, some of the other teachers came up to me and were like, have you read the skit? Is this okay? And, you know, they didn't specifically say, you know, I don't think this is okay, but they're very much looking to me and asking kind of for my, my blessing, if you will, like we'll form our opinion based on how you react to this. And I said, yeah, I think it's fine. And we didn't have any issue with that after that. And actually, when they performed it at the regional competition, unfortunately, they didn't advance to the next level. But the judges said that they were impressed that the students were addressing a topic like this. Oh, that's great. All right. So that, those are great thoughts. So moving on. So without giving away your entire November 8th presentation, explain how history is important to the LGBTQ community. Right. So, you know, I think I I talked about it a little bit when I was talking about how the Treader collection at the University of Minnesota came to me. But again, if you don't have that historical record, you know, everyone thinks this is completely new. When in reality, you know, we've been having these conversations for a really long time, for hundreds of years, thousands of years. And I think It can also be really good to look at history to understand how we can do things in the future. You know, we we look at history to understand the present and then what we can do in the future. One of the things I really like about trans history is that if we look at particularly other societies and other cultures, you can see that there are a lot of different ways of doing gender. And, you know, even if we just look at American society, it's like, you know, why are girls pink and why are boys blue? That wasn't always the case. That's actually a really modern thing that didn't happen until about World War II. And um, there are historical examples of, you know, magazines saying that, oh, pink is a good color for boys because it's closer to red, which is more, you know, masculine and things like that. And and blue is, you know, it's closer to periwinkle. And so it's a nice calming color for girls. And so these ideas that we have about gender change constantly. And, um, you know, they're also different across cultures. Um, I think a really good example of this is Wheatlaw, who was a member of the uh, Zuni Pueblo. Um, and so she, um, I'm using she, her pronouns to refer to her, but she was actually a, a gender called um, Lahamana, which was neither male nor female. So in um, traditionally in the Zuni culture, you know, there were more than two genders. You weren't, didn't have to just be male or female. And I think Witwa is really important because she actually became a kind of a representative for the Zuni people to DC and actually met with President um, Grover Cleveland. He didn't realize that she was not what we consider a cisgender woman, so not a trans woman. But the reason that Wheatwell was chosen as a representative was because she understood both masculinity and femininity. And so the Zuni people thought that, you know, these sort of um, people who, you know, understood kind of all aspects of gender were better at diplomacy and could understand all sides of an argument and were therefore the best person to have this sort of diplomatic role. And so I think if we look 
at gender like that, it can be really freeing and that you can have, you know, some really important strengths by being who you are. And then also, you know, why do we have two genders? Why do we only have two genders? There are cultures in the world who have always had more than two genders. And so I think using these historical examples, we can think about, you know, how we want to do things in the future. It can also be helpful instead of me trying to explain my personal gender and why I personally feel this way. Instead, I can look at, you know, this figure and say, well, this is how this person does it. You know, maybe this can help me explain how I'm feeling instead of it just being about me as a person. Well, I hope everyone can attend your presentation. It sounds just fascinating. And what a different look at this topic too. I thank you for that. And thank you for sharing your voice and your space with us. Um, do you have any last thoughts you want to share? Anything that you maybe forgot? One other thing I will say about ways that you can support um, trans youth is, I know it's really cliche to say, but please vote and supporting legislation that supports um, trans people is really important. So uh, Minnesota is actually um, a uh, transgender refuge state. So that means that other state laws uh, um, cannot affect us in Minnesota. So that means if, you know, if Texas decides to um, ban kids from, you know, having hormone therapy, that can't affect people in Minnesota, which is really important to let us have our freedom of choice. And um, also, you know, Minnesota in 1993, actually, so quite a while ago, uh, made an amendment to the Human Rights Act of Minnesota to protect people from discrimination based on their uh, gender identity. So, you know, you can't um, discriminate against someone in employment or housing based on their gender identity. And again, that's because, you know, people voted and we actually um, have politicians who are willing to create these laws. And so I know it's really cliche, but that, that's a good way of showing support. <laughs> yeah, that's great. Thanks for sharing that. Um, and are we going to get you back in Minnesota? Or are you going to stay out in D.C. after? We'll see. We'll see. I mean, I, I love Minnesota. <laughs> I would love to come back to Minnesota. We'll see. We'll see what happens. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Well, we're excited to hear. So another thing that I wanted to mention was that I feel like a lot of people whose gender identity matches the body that they were born in, um, it can be hard to understand, you know, oh, you know, your body parts define your gender. Um, I think it's really interesting to look at intersex people in this case. Um, so intersex refers to um, people who have um, biological characteristics that are different from what we, you know, normally consider, you know, male or female sex traits. So that is, for example, having a different hormone levels is one, um, having a mixture of ovarian and testicular tissue, um, things like that. Uh, having different chromosomes, actually. So XXY or XXX are actually different chromosome types that people can have. And um, for these, actually, uh, statistics are about 1.7% um, of 
Americans, it estimated, have these sort of different um, sex characteristics and are considered intersex. Meanwhile, um, an average of 0.5% of Americans are transgender. So there are actually more people in the U.S. who have, you know, biological features that don't match what we consider generally male or female than there are people who are actually transgender. And so that can be things like hormone levels or, you know, the genitalia you have. And of course, um, intersex people also um, face discrimination for this. But I think it can be really helpful to think about, you know, biology is not always going to um, match gender. And there are a lot of different ways that, you know, biology can be different. And so, you know, we're really focused on the idea of um, if you have breasts, you're a woman, but that's, you know, that's not the case. You know, I have a friend who, um, because of health reasons, can't have children. That doesn't mean she is less of a woman. And so I think, you know, it's really helpful to think more of gender as a, you know, a social thing about how you fit into the world and not about the body parts you have. Absolutely. And thanks for being here today, Chris. Yes, thank you. So thank you so much for joining us today for Let's Talk. Please subscribe, rate, and review wherever you listen to our podcast and tune in again soon.